I can't believe that today we are at the final part of our series, Love Rules. For five weeks, we have been talking about love, and we started at the most intimate, deepest form of love we can have, and that is love with our Creator and our Savior, love for Jesus. And then we started making the circle wider, so we went to our spouses, to our families, to our friends. But there's one group that I don't particularly like to talk about because I struggle with them, and that is love for people we don't like so much, right? And um, when we were younger, we were three boys and, and one girl, so I had three siblings. I always had this rule with my brothers, like I was the oldest of the three brothers. So my rule was simple, like whatever you do to me, I'm going to do it to you seven times worse. So that was a simple rule, like whenever I did it seven times worse, I normally got a spanking for it, like because it would always get to my parents. But um, that was a rule, that is a rule of, of um, revenge, that is a rule of, of bitterness sometimes. And um, so today, like when we're talking about loving our enemies, it is something that I'm really doing from a vulnerable place because it's not always something that I've been the best at. And especially when you grow up in a country where you're not always as safe as you guys are in, and as we now are in Canada, um, this is really a difficult topic to talk about. But when we talk about enemies, don't just think about Russia versus Ukraine. Don't just think about someone that, that you really feel like you, I want to say like if you hate them, but you will probably think like, I don't hate anyone, but we most of the time act like that, right? But here's some people that might be an enemy for you. Maybe it is someone like your ex-spouse or ex-girlfriend or a boyfriend. Maybe it is an irritating brother or a sister that always takes your favorite pencil. Maybe it's the nasty neighbor or the guy who keeps tailgating you when you're driving to work. You see, enemies come in all shapes and sizes and colors and proximity, but an enemy is someone who leaves us feeling angry. An enemy is someone who leaves us feeling bitter. An enemy is someone that we feel unforgiveness towards. And it's normally someone that when we think about them, we think in the sense of vengeance. I stay awake at night because I think about how I'm going to get back at them for whatever they did to me. And I named a couple of personal ones, but sometimes it is as simple as that. The conservatives versus the liberals. And I hope we have both in our church. Because Jesus' kingdom is bigger than a conservative or a liberal. Sometimes it's the vaxxers against the anti-vaxxers or the maskers against the anti-maskers. And we've got all of these issues. Maybe it's not even someone physical that just illustrates, irritates you with their ideology. But maybe it's someone just like Putin. We have nothing to do with him. But we all feel angry because he attacks someone that we feel like we're innocent in the matter. Maybe it's ISIS. Whatever it might be. Enemies come in all shapes and sizes. So when I talk about this today, we need to think a little wider than just the obvious enemy. So our topic today, the final part of our series, and I'm, I'm sure you guys are like, I'm so thankful we're stopping here, because if we had to go a step further, I don't know where we would be. But our final stop in this journey is loving your enemy. Loving your enemy. And as I already said, I am no expert here. It's something I'm struggling with. And um, I will share with you a couple of stories today um, of, of real life moments that we've lived through or that we know of. But Jesus had some very, very direct things to say about loving our enemies. We read it in Matthew. We read it in Luke. 
Paul spoke about it in Romans. So throughout the Bible, we get this idea that loving our enemies are actually quite important. So if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn to Luke 6. We're going to work through it. So if you've got your Bibles, keep it open. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the back. You can download it on your phone. Um, just search for, for the Bible app. You will find it. And so while we're busy with that, can we get some lights on on the balcony, please? So Luke 6, we'll be reading from verse 27 to verse 36. 27 to 36. And Jesus starts out this way. He says, to all who are listening. So this is like a, a, a phrase where he's trying to grab your attention. He, he, that could be said something like this. Please listen carefully to what I'm going to say now. And then he starts with this. Love your enemies. I'm like, Jesus, couldn't you have started me out a little like softer than just like love your enemies? Like we could have built up to that, right? It's like love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Here is the part that I probably struggle with the most. If there was one, one or two verses that I could have left out of the Bible, this would have probably been it. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, even people who don't know Jesus, love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Now for the last four weeks and today the fifth week, we followed a same pattern every week. Because love rules is like a double play on the word, right? Love is beautiful. Love rules. Like there is nothing in the world as beautiful as love. That is where, why every song, almost every song written, every movie made, always has love thrown in there somewhere. Because love is truly beautiful. So we, every week we looked at the beauty of what love is supposed to be. Then we looked at the problem. Why doesn't love always look that way? And then we said, okay, what is God's rules for love to keep us, to keep our relationships in that place where love is as beautiful as it should be? But here was my question as I was preparing this. I'm like, what beauty is there in loving my enemy? I can see the beauty in loving my spouse. I can see the beauty in loving my God. I can see the beauty in loving my friends and loving my family. But is there any beauty in loving my enemy? And when I read what Jesus says, where he just starts boldly with love your enemy. And by the way, that is not the most difficult part of this text. I think it gets more difficult. So although it feels like Jesus starts us out quite hard, I think he actually started us off quite soft in this text. But when I read that with Jesus just like stating boldly, love your enemy, I'm like, Jesus, how on earth is that supposed to be possible or to make sense? Everything inside of me screams the opposite, right? Is there, Jesus, how can there be beauty in loving my enemies? 
And as I started thinking about it and I started reading the text and I started looking at what God says throughout his word, we were with most of them, I just said like, this is the beauty of, of love, right? I wanna give you three things today that I believe make loving our enemies really beautiful. And then we'll look at why we struggle with it. So first, let me tell you why I believe it is beautiful to love our enemies. Because one, when you love your enemies, it will deepen your relationship with God. When I read this, like the first thing that should come up when you read this is, it's impossible for me to do. That should be your first reaction. If this doesn't seem impossible to you, I don't think you're normal. And when I look at this, I know that the only way that I might be able to actually love my enemies is if the God of love, if I have such an intimate relationship with him, that through his love for me that I can love someone else. So by just trying to love my enemy, I have to rely on God more. I have to invest in my relationship with God more, and my relationship with him will grow. See, I will start to live more like Jesus. In verse 36, how did he end? Be merciful as your father is merciful. So in order to be merciful to my enemies, what do I have to do? I have to learn God's mercy in my own life in order to reflect that to someone else. So as I'm trying to love my enemies, I start to live more like Jesus. As I start to live more like him, I start to learn something about his love. You see, because grace is free, but it was never cheap. Jesus gave his life for us. But the problem is, especially if you grew up in a Christian home, is like grace was preached constantly. I grew up with the word. I know what it means. And I'm like, yes, Jesus gave his life for me without it always moving from head knowledge to heart knowledge, without really realizing what does grace actually mean. And Romans 5 verse 10 tells us that God loved us while we were still, guess what the word is? Enemies. Of God. So suddenly I'm not just growing closer to Him and living out, living more like Him because I need Him to love my enemies, but suddenly as I'm struggling with loving this person that hurts me, that frustrates me, that drives me insane, suddenly in that moment my knowledge about God's love for me starts to move from my head to my heart. Because I see how difficult it is to not only love someone that's your enemy, but to die for someone that's your enemy. That's a different level. And Jesus died for us while we were his enemies, while we didn't think about him, while, before we, we even knew that sin was sin, when we didn't care about God. Like if you're here today and this is your first time, you're like, I'm just trying to figure out if this Jesus thing is even real. I want to tell you, he has died for you, even though you're still not searching for him. He's already Pursuing your heart. So we learn something about his love for us, but then also we start to show his love to the world. It's interesting when Jesus spoke about his followers, he didn't say that people will know we are Christians because we gather in a church on a Sunday. He didn't say people will know we are Christians because we wear a cross around our neck or because we tell them that we are Christian. How did Jesus say, well, people will know that we are followers of him? In John 13, verse 33, he says, people will know that you are my followers when you love each other. So our love is so radically different to that which the world has for other people that it is the one marker that no one else except for followers, true followers of Jesus can have. So the first beauty of it is that he deepens our relationship with God. 
But the second beauty is that it also does something beautiful inside of me. It changes me. I once heard this quote years ago when I was trying to figure out like how to, to really work through forgiveness. I will one day tell the story in a message about that. But I heard this quote that said, Unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person would die. Guys, you can be mad at Peter all you want. He doesn't care. But you might be poisoning your own soul. In Romans 12, where Paul writes basically what Jesus just told us, how we should love our enemies, in that piece in Romans 12, guess how Paul ends this off? Romans 12, 21, you hopefully know this by heart. It says, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You see, when we have enemies that we are bitter at, when we, we, that we, which we struggle to forgive, and we want to take vengeance, that That is evil taking me over. That is me turning into my enemy. So when I make the choice to say, God, I need you to help me love my enemy, not only does it deepen my relationship with God, but it changes something inside of me. It helps me to overcome evil. It helps me to not turn into the person that I hate. But the third thing is, it changes our enemies. That's the beauty of this. Guys, if we don't pray for our enemies, who will do it? If the Christian church doesn't pray for Russia and for Putin, who will do it? And let me add on to that. If we don't pray for our enemies, how will they ever change? Because I believe that we can try to to effect change through laws and through policing and through all kinds of structures, but true heart change doesn't come through rules. True heart change comes when my heart actually changes because Jesus does something deep inside of me what no law could ever do. So if I don't pray for my enemy, who will? If I don't pray for them, how will they change? If I don't show goodness to my enemies, how will they ever see it? Romans 12 again says in verse 20, don't take vengeance. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. And then they say this, in doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their head. Now, there's a reason why I end with this, because if I read the part of burning heaps of coal, you're like, okay, I will love them just for that fact. You see, that burning coals of shame that's on them is not there just to shame them. It is there to help them to see the error in the way and to find Jesus in the process and to turn away from the wickedness. You see, there is beauty in loving our enemies. And it might not be as obvious as the others, but loving your enemies keeps you from becoming like them and releases them from the prisons of their own hatred. But there's a problem, right? There's a problem that it's not, we we don't get to do this every day. We really struggle with this. I struggle with this. And I'm like, what is the problem? And I think it kind of lies on, on two levels. One is the thing that we've been talking about constantly throughout this series, and that is me, myself, and I. It is that in the world we're living in where it's survival of the fittest, where it is about me achieving all that I can, where it is about me getting everything that I feel 
is owed to me, where it's about consumerism and all of that, we got to a place where I don't have to love my enemies because I am first in line. Why should I love someone if they don't love me? Why should I do good to someone if they don't do good to me? And then on the back of that, the world started to tell us, don't waste your time loving bad people. It's interesting that I've heard a line of another religion so often in movies on people's Facebook, and that is the word karma. Don't worry. Karma. They will get what's coming to them. Don't waste your time on people. If they're bad, like they, it will just come back to them. If they don't tolerate me, I don't have to tolerate them. If they don't agree with me, it gives me the right to hate them. If there's nothing good in the, the relationship for me, I can just cancel it. I can just move on. So I think we struggle because we've adopted that way of living. And it was not just something for us, but it is something that has happened throughout the ages where we believed that this was the way to live. But Jesus says in verse 32 to 34, he's like, how are you different to people who don't know me when you only love those who love you, when you only lend to those who will repay you, when you only do good to those who will do good to you? It's like that is literally what every person in the world does. You don't need Jesus for that. And that is a problem with our world, right? Is that we only love the people who love us. We only care about the people who care for us. You see, conventional morality does good in accordance with the likelihood of receiving good in return. Like I give something to you and you need to give it back to me. But Jesus commands us to not focus on the return, but to focus on the goodness of the act. He says, lend to them even if you get nothing back. Do good to them even if they're not good to you. Love them even though they might be your enemy. See, the actions of the other person is not supposed to determine my actions towards them. That's the way it works in the world. It's not the way it's supposed to work for Christians. Because it's not the way it worked for me when Jesus loved me while I was still an enemy of God. Today when we're going to take communion, that is a reminder that when my actions toward God said, God, I don't love you, I don't care about hurting you. I don't care what you've done for me. I will just continue doing what I feel like doing. In that moment, he loved me and he gave his life for me. Today is such a good time when we take communion to remember that. But just as our actions towards God didn't determine his actions towards us, so the actions of other people shouldn't determine my actions towards them. So let's talk about how we can do this practically, because this is the hard part. <clears throat> What's the rules that God has given us to stay in this lane, to get to a place where I can actually love my enemies? And there's three rules that I think we see um, in, in this text. And it starts with verse 27 to 28. Love your enemies, do good to the haters, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who mistreat you. And when I read that and it starts with this, I'm like, Jesus, just start with the bar a little lower. But actually he did. And I want to work with these in reverse order. You see, often we think that loving our enemy means that I need to like them or I think it means that I need to approve of what they've done. 
Loving them doesn't mean I approve of what they're doing, and loving them doesn't necessarily mean I like them. But loving them means that I do good to them, and it starts with this. Like, how do I do good to someone who's really been bad to me? Just like, you pray for them. Because when I do not have the human ability to love someone that's really my enemy, the least and the easiest thing I can do is to just pray for them. And sometimes it's a prayer that starts like this. Jesus, this person has really hurt me and really makes me angry. And I really struggle to love them. So please help me. That's where it starts. The second thing from the reverse is bless those who curse you. I'm like, I, new market drivers are fairly nice. Like you can do kind of like whatever you want on the road and you just say sorry and they're like, ah, don't worry. <laughs> South Africa doesn't work that way, okay? It's like every man for himself. It's like full out war on the roads. And you always have these random people who just like throw you a sign or like tailgating you or doing something and then my blood starts boiling. I'm like, what is easier to when they curse you? To just like, I bless you, buddy. <laughs> it saves you from your blood boiling, right? It saves you from rolling your car. And I think like that's why Jesus started. He's like, I know you're going to struggle. So one, just pray for them. Even if it's like, Jesus, I struggle to love them. Or Jesus, help them to not be so whatever it might be. And then to just bless them. Like, bless you, buddy. I hope you travel safe, despite your crazy, reckless driving. And then he says, do good to the haters. Now, now, you see, now it gets more difficult. Like, doing good to the haters and loving our enemies gets more difficult. But he gave us some time to build up to something. But this is what I have learned. And this is the, full, the first rule of love, is that small acts can lead to big change. By just praying for someone... By just blessing someone that said something wrong to me. I could be diffusing a situation. I could be changing myself. I could be changing their heart. Because maybe that person who threw you that sign while he was driving had the most horrible day at work. And he's just looking for someone to take it out on. And the moment that you blessed him, he's like, man, why have I done such a stupid thing? We don't know. But never underestimate how a small action can affect a big change. <clears throat> so that's the first one. The second, now this is where I'm struggling. Verse 29 to 31. Turn the other cheek. Someone takes your coat, just give them your shirt as well. If they take your stuff, don't demand it back. I'm like, man, Jesus, I feel like you're going too far, right? I don't think there's anyone who doesn't struggle with those verses. I think there's been so much written about it because we try to, to figure out exactly what did Jesus mean by that and then we try to like, work our own agendas and our own ideologies into it. But I'm not even going to try to explain because that does, just goes way beyond my ability to understand it or to live this out. But this is what I do know. Jesus is asking us for calculated vulnerability. You see, because calculated vulnerability means that I don't invite aggression. I don't give someone a further cause for aggression. 
This is not that I'm passive or that I'm too weak to stand up for myself or that I've got floppy arms and I can't do anything. This is calculated. This is intentionality because it's not easy for us to do. This is calculated vulnerability. And there's been people who've shown the success of this throughout the ages. Gandhi was born in in um, India, but he said he was made in South Africa when he was there, and he went back to India, and his calculated vulnerability led to the liberation of India from British rule. Martin Luther King Jr., his calculated vulnerability led to massive gain for civil rights for black people. And when I name some of these names, I'm not saying any of these people were perfect, I'm just giving you examples of how calculated vulnerability can lead to change. For decades, there was peaceful demonstrations and prayer for peace in former, former East Germany. And that broke the ground for the fall of the Berlin Wall. And at the end of the day, the collapse of the Soviet Union. The truth and reconciliation movement in South Africa after the fall of apartheid, which means separation, living separately, that spared our country from a bloodbath that could have just been a civil war. But when I think about this, I'm like, I don't know, Jesus, how I can do this. And Jesus kind of gives us an answer. He tells us to think about how we would want to be treated. This is the second rule of love. Do to others as you would have them done to you. As you would have them do to you. He said the world says it the other way around. The world says, do to others what they do to you. Repay evil with evil. Repay good for good. Jesus is like, no, you repay everyone for good. Because think about, like, this is difficult to figure out. But how would you have liked to be treated in that moment? If you were the aggressor, if you were the one in the wrong, would you want someone to respond to you in love or in hate? And as difficult as that is, Jesus is like, that is the golden rule. Don't look at what the person is doing, but think about how you would have liked to be treated and then just treat them that way. And this is not just about refraining from doing evil. This is not just preventing yourself from not doing something bad, but this is actively choosing to love someone. This is choosing to make love a verb. Jesus emphasized suffering over vengeance because I can assure you that a vengeful spirit will only destroy you. But then Jesus comes with a third rule for living in verse 35 to 36. We read about how he says, like, lend to those who won't give back to you and love your enemies and do good to those who won't do good to you. And then he ends it and he says, be merciful and kind as your father is merciful and kind. You see, there is um, something in the theological terms that we call common grace. God doesn't just do good to people who love him. God makes it rain over all people, good and bad. This common grace that God pours out over all of creation. And he's like, I want you to live with grace. And I want you to live with the kind of grace that I had towards you when you were still my enemies. And that is the third rule for love is that we need to start living according to the Father's character. 
Not according to how we, how we feel they treated us, but according to his character. And I always want to assure you that this will be impossible unless you know Jesus and you're in the moment. There was a, um, in 2010, famous South African um, gospel singer, Louis Brits. He's actually today a worship pastor in Tennessee. Um, he and his wife were sleeping and you can actually go and, and look the story up. There's a whole video on her testimony, Hetty Brits. She said the first thing that she can remember of that night is waking up because someone was pulling the sheets off her bed. And she thought it was her husband, but it wasn't. It was three men that broke into their house and raped her. And it made headlines everywhere because this famous gospel singer, this famous gospel singer and his wife, because she was raped. But what was crazy to me is that the outrage wasn't so much about that wrong evil that happened. You know what the biggest outrage was about? Because about a week later, they told the media that they have chosen to forgive these men. And I can remember my first response was, you're crazy. I will hunt them down if it was my wife. And it went to the point where they actively worked at sharing Jesus with these people while they were in jail. And I, I could never understand how someone could go to that point where you can do that kind of love to someone that's done that kind of evil to you. And we once had this conversation in a Bible study at, at my previous church, and there was one of, one, of, they, one of those people who just had so much wisdom. A father, he was about in his 80s, I think he had three or four daughters, I can't remember. And, and we spoke about the story, it was right after this happened. And he said, like, he always said as well, like, if that, something like that would ever happen with one of his children, he would hunt the perpetrator down and kill them. And he said one day he got a call from his daughter, the call he dreaded, the call he feared that said, Dad, I have been raped. Not by someone she knows, a burglar. And he says in that moment that I've been preparing my whole life for to act, in that moment a peace came over me that I could not understand. See, these things, as much as we want to argue it out, as much as we want to be better than the rest of the world, as much as we think like if we just have enough knowledge or reason, we can figure it out. The point of the matter is you cannot figure this kind of love out. It's impossible. And that is why I know that this kind of love can only come from a deep relationship with Jesus where I start to live in accordance with the Father's character. See, these commands are non-intuitive. It is behavior that doesn't come naturally to us, no matter how disciplined you are. That is the third lesson I learned here today. Is my behavior is not determined by the other person's behavior towards me, but by the character of God. And that can only come from a really deep relationship with Him. So I don't know where you are today in your own walk with Jesus. I don't know how you feel about people that have hurt you, how you think about them, how you process all of that. But what I do know is it's hard. It's not easy to love your enemies. 
But I do believe that if you have a relationship with Jesus, he will help you to change from the inside out, to have love and compassion and grace and mercy in your life that you never thought possible. But that is the common theme in this whole series. Our love for our spouses, for our families, for our friends and for our enemies is not built on my ability to love, but on God's character, the God who is love. So I hope you take that with you after this series. May we go this week, may we start praying for and may we start blessing our enemies. May we take those small steps in resembling the character of Jesus more in this broken world. His love is so needed. Let's pray. Jesus, we live in a world where your love is needed so urgently. There's so much hurt and pain and destruction all around us because people do not know your character and they do not live from it. And Jesus, I know if your followers, if a third of the world that says they follow Jesus are not willing to stand up, are not willing to pray for their enemies, are not willing to do good to their enemies, no one else will. Therefore, I pray, God, that despite the hurt that we felt in our life, despite what has happened, that you will help us to love the way Jesus loves us. Pray in your name. Amen.